Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. If you're joining us for the first time, just a few quick announcements. First is we want to say welcome. We're honored to have you as a guest and have you join us in this kind of just weird season that the church finds itself in. And so uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, what we say now, how we preach now will be the same as if you were to show up to our service on Sunday morning. And that's our aim and our goal is to make Jesus Christ the hero. And so we want to do that in today's sermon. We want to do that through all of life. And so that's our church's mission statement is to make Jesus the hero. And so if you are joining or tuning in for the first time, that's why our church exists. And so um, also if uh, you call GCC your home and family, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, continuing to persevere in this season of joining in uh, through service uh, via live stream. And so I just want you guys to know this. I miss you guys and I miss our church family. I miss meeting together. I miss seeing faces I feel more disconnected than ever before uh, from our church, and it just feels weird. It's like, uh, just, yeah, it's just a really difficult season. It's difficult to talk to a camera lens, uh, though I know people are on the other side listening, and I know people are tuning in. And so I've just been praying that the Spirit would help us to feel connected this morning, because I know, honestly, my soul needs that. It's just been a really difficult week for uh, uh, um, just multiple reasons. And so actually, Nathan and I try to shoot this video to pre-record it on Thursday, and we attempted it twice. I just looked at him. I was like, Nathan, I just can't do it right now. And so, yeah, I'm just going to need your guys' prayers, too, uh, this morning as, uh, as uh, I pray for us whenever uh, I pray in just a minute. But, yeah, just know that uh, this is difficult. I know it's difficult. I, I, I know it's weird. I know it's a weird way to interact. But, um, but for now and for the season that we're in, this is, this is what we have to work with. And so, um, also, uh, I made an announcement earlier this week that uh, we're not going to be meeting again starting on July 12th at the DAC. We just felt in light of the governor's announcement and um, what's best and, and what's uh, the wisest thing for our community, for our church family members, but also maybe other people that are uh, looking to uh, come in and check out the church. It seems like the smartest and the wisest thing to do right now is to hold off on doing that. So for now, we're not going to be doing that, but we do have some watch parties. People have some watch parties um, if you want to host a watch party, then contact us and let us know if you have some space outdoors where you could do that and, and feel comfortable inviting some people over to join that. Please let us know. We encourage you guys to do that because it's a, it's a great way in light of the season that we're in to still have some community and still be a part of those that call GCC their home and their family. So, yeah, please, please do that uh, and reach out to us. You can email us and we would love to help get you plugged in in that way. Uh, one last uh, quick announcement is giving. Um, in light of the season that we're in, uh, we still want to help people that are struggling and still want to help people that are in a time of need. And so you can give online uh, at gccugene.org. And uh, there's a give tab there. And, uh, and specifically, if you want to give to those that are struggling uh, during this uh, pandemic, then you can give towards the COVID Benevolence Fund. And 100% of those pre uh, proceeds go towards uh, those that are either inside of our community or outside of our community that are struggling. So. Also, you can give to the Church Center app if you're someone that likes to give uh, with cash. It's a way that you can do that. And then last, if you are someone who likes to write checks, you can write a check payable to a Gospel Community Church and mail it to Post Office Box 41864, Eugene, Oregon, 97404. So with that, we're going to dive in. We're going to dive in with our series uh, that we're continuing on today in 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 8. And so if you would, just take a moment to turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 13 that takes us through the end of the chapter and then uh, I'll pray for us you guys can pray for me and just be in prayer um, even as I pray for our
church family for our members and just those also that might feel disconnected or just, yeah, just struggling through this time of the season. So let's be in prayer together. <clears throat> Father, first we recognize and, and, and just declare and state our need for you. Uh, that, Father, you are good, you are God, you are faithful, you are in control. And you knew the very season that not just our church, but the church would find itself in. And we trust that you're doing a work far more incredible than what we can see. And so in the midst of struggles, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of feeling disconnected, remind us that we're united together in Christ. Remind us that we all share the same spirit. And I pray through your presence, Holy Spirit, inside of the church, even this morning as we listen, there would be a sense of unity. And so speak to us through your word, Father, that we thank you you've given us your word, that you've spoken, uh, that we're not left wondering what your voice sounds like, what your character is like, who you are like, and what the greatest news ever is, the gospel that's declared and given to us through your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word ministers to us. Thank you that your word convicts us. Thank you that your word reminds us we're not God and that you are. I pray this morning that where there's idols in our hearts, those would be exposed. Where we've been looking at ourselves more than Christ, where we're satisfied in other things more than Christ, I pray that you would redirect our eyes, our gaze, our fix, our focus, and our hearts and our souls on a love for Christ because we see and know and better understand the just immense, infinite love that Jesus, you have for us. So this morning we pray you would speak to us, teach us, and encourage us. We pray for our country continually, our nation, our world, um, Father, and our state. Uh, we pray for those inside of our church family and our church community that, uh, that just feel uh, disconnected, that are hurting right now. Um, we pray for those that, are the new, uh, uh, that have brought new children into the world right now. There's just so much going on, um, it seems overwhelming, and so more than... Uh, ever, I pray, we would not trust ourselves to bear what's going on, but we would trust you to bear um, what's going on in our world around us, Father. Give us rest, give us strength, give us peace, give us hope. Not in ourselves, not by looking deep within, but looking to you, Jesus. We need you. Speak your words, your words of life, your words of love, your words of truth. Now, through me, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing this morning through Saints and Society, and the reason we've titled this series through the book of 1 Corinthians, Saints and Societies, because we recognize that Paul addresses Christians as saints, and saints means holy ones or set apart. And so Paul is writing this letter to this uh, church in Corinth, and Corinth is the capital of uh, the Roman Empire. And so it's a, a city of around 200,000 people. It's a major trade uh, city. It's a place where a lot of commerce is happening. There's a, a road a four-mile stretch that connects two seas, uh, that connects to two different seas that runs right through the middle of it. And, and so this is a place that a lot of people are traveling to, east and west and north and south. So it's just kind of a real central hub uh, for this area. And so Paul is writing this letter to uh, the saints that are now in Corinth. And so Corinth is also just very eclectic. You have Jews, you have Gentiles, you have Greeks, you have Romans. Um, but what you also find in Corinth, which we're going to look at today, is it's very pluralistic. And what we mean by that is that they worshiped many gods. And so um, Jews and Christians um, seem weird because uh, Christians were known as atheists because they worshiped a God who uh, in, in their mind didn't exist. He was invisible. And for this pluralistic society, they had shrines, they had temples, and they had these um, um, carved images of their gods. And so that's what they worshiped. And so Paul is looking at that today. He's looking at 
the fact that uh, the, the culture in Corinth would worship these pagan gods. And the way they would do that is they would sacrifice uh, animals, they would sacrifice different things. They would go to these temples and they would make a sacrifice to the god of uh, sunshine. They would make a, a, a sacrifice to the god of uh, Roma who uh, just overlooked, she was a goddess that overlooked all the Roman Empire. They had different gods for every occasion. They had a god for dinner, they had a god for work, they had just a god for everything, and they were constantly paying homage to these different gods. They were sacrificing things, and then they would eat the food that was sacrificed to these gods as, as a form of worship. And they would do this at dinner parties, banquets, and everything like that. So now the Christians, the saints in Corinth, find themselves in this really weird, difficult spot. Do they participate? Do they eat food, or do they not eat food sacrificed to idols? Is it just food, and they should see it as just food? What about the younger, immature Christians? Do they eat it? Do we encourage them to eat it because it's just food? So they found themselves in a really difficult spot, and we'll see later on in this, that part of the difficulty was actually that they also wanted to be plugged into the social pipeline because that was a big deal in Corinth, that was a big deal in the Roman Empire, that as soon as you um, didn't participate in things and you started to disconnect yourself, then you could lose any sort of like social clout or any sort of approval that you might have had. And so all these things are going on. This is causing this just wrestle for the people in uh, Corinth. And so the reason why we're looking at this, saints and societies, because we find ourselves in a very similar situation in the 21st century. There is so much influence by culture. There's so much going on in our world around us that saints oftentimes find themselves in a state of tension going, what do we do? Do we do this? Do we not do this? And so Paul is, 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 is looking at moral ethics. And we today are going to talk through moral ethics. And we're going to understand that Christians have to know and understand that where we look to moral ethics is to God's word. And where we look to it is to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. But what we do and, and what we have to understand is that we were given this identity. This identity as saints, holy and set apart. Not by anything that we've worked for, not by anything we've done. It, it was a grace-given identity. So God makes us this by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And then now we're called to take this identity and live as set apart and live as holy in culture, which we know that can be really difficult with all the peer pressure. If you're a college student, a high school student, wherever you're at, there's constant tension and peer pressure. But what does it look like for us to actually live as a saint in society where we go and we impact the world, we're a light to the world, and where we're not just being impacted and being influenced by culture, but we are the ones influencing and shaping and molding culture? So that's what we're looking at. That's what uh, Saints and Society is. It is looking at what it looked like for them to be saints in the society that they found themselves in. And now for us today, what does it look like for us to be saints in society? So read with me uh, the Word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 13. And then we'll work through it. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and there is no God but one. For although there is... There may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former associations with idols, eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, 
Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to uh, eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience, uh, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. <clears throat> Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. The main point of this morning's sermon is the saints have the freedom to say no. The saints have the freedom to say no, especially to the I'm just going to do me culture that we live in. So there, there's a common phrase in saying, and I'm not going to give you a hard time if I hear you saying it or anything like that. So just no, I'm not going to pick up any stones. But a, a lot of people in our culture say, you just, or you just do you and I'm just going to do me. And there's a lot in that. There, there's a lot in that saying that I'm just going to do whatever makes me happy, whatever makes me feel good, whatever makes me feel content. And so I'm tech. What, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say yes to myself. So you, you go over there and you do you, and I'm going to do me. And now the way that we understand ethics is actually driven by that. It's that you do whatever you think is right. I'm going to do over here whatever I think is right. And this is not anything new that we find this so prevalent today. This has gone on for, for centuries. We see this in the book of Judges where the actual like kind of just big thrust of the book is that uh, it's a people that decided to do what was right in their own eyes. And so that's where we find ourselves in a lot of ways today. And so the saints have this freedom to say no. Um, but here's what I want you to do. And, and I've, we, we haven't done anything like this via live stream or even if you've gathered with us in church. So this is a new exercise. But I want you to do something for me. And, and, and for the sake of this being more powerful and I think getting to the heart issue of what Paul's trying to get to here, take just a moment, grab a pen and some paper, if you would right now, or something you can write down on. If that's your phone just for a minute, then, then do that. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna, in just a minute, I'm going to have Nathan queue up our Saints and Society um, uh, just flyer uh, so that can be on the screen so you have a minute to do this. But I want you to write down five things that are really difficult for you to say no to. Five things that you would struggle to live without. You've got to be honest with me. And, and, and here, here, here's what I want to preface this with. Let's, 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 for the sake of this exercise, let's pull out the, um, the things that you can't live without, like uh, your Bible, prayer, Jesus, family members, the church, stuff like that. We would say, yes, absolutely. We, uh, we cannot uh, live without our Bible, without prayer, obviously without Jesus, without our Christian community, family members, that sort of stuff, without our own personal family members. I want to get at the heart of what our true idols are inside of our own hearts, inside of our own lives. And so um, I'll, I'll just expose myself and I'll share my five with you and then maybe throw out some ideas. But these are five things you're like, man, I just, this would be really hard if I couldn't have this anymore and I had to say no to this. So one would be coffee um, for me. One would be meat, especially burgers, ribs, and brisket. Uh, hunting would be a really difficult one for me to just say no, never going to do it again, walk away from it, just done with it. Uh, watching movies. It's like, I, I love movies. And, and then wine. Oh, well, uh, that's, that's the fifth one. A lot of these things I do with my wife, I do with community, I do with other people, but they just be really hard things to say, no more done, not doing it anymore. So those are my five. Maybe yours is Target. If you're being honest, maybe yours is your phone that you feel like you can't live without. Maybe it's a certain person. Maybe it's a certain thing. Whatever it is, just take a moment to write down those five things. It would be really difficult for you to just say, I'm not going to do it. Uh, the gym, Whatever it is, just write those down for just a minute. I, I'm going to give you guys maybe one or two minutes to just write these down while we just uh, pan out for just a second. All right, perfect. All right, now, thanks, because it also allowed me to go get a drink of water. So um, just, real quick, just real quick, here's, here's what I want you to do. Someone walks in right now, and, and you have this list, and they say, hey, no matter what, right now, 
you have to cross off two things that you'll never be able to use or partake in for the rest of your life. Like right now, this is a done deal. You have to cross out two. Cross out two on your list that, that, that someone's telling you that, that you, you have to get rid of once and for all. Kind of like how Paul ends this. If, if meat causes my brother to stumble, I just won't eat anymore. What, what are the two things you would cross out first? Okay, so cross those out. And then, and then someone says, actually, you have to give up the third thing on your list too. And so what would that be? If right now, like, like there's some tension, you're like, oh man, I don't like, like, I don't know which one I would cross out, which one would I give up first. This is really difficult, but it's like, it's, it, it's a once and for all, it's a done deal. Once you cross it out, you can no longer have it anymore. It's done. What would that be? Now, now cross out your fourth thing because then you're down to one, just, just, just one item left. Cross out whatever that is. And then look at your one item that, that you have left there. And I think if we're willing to look at whatever that item is, then we can start to see and, and identify what some of our idols are. And so what, what Paul is going to urge us to do is even cross out that very last item on our list. Don't do that right now, but, but that's where this is going, and that's what Paul is leading to. And if you feel that tension and that tug and that heartstring of like, oh, but I love these things, or these things are really good, or this would be really difficult for me, that's what Paul is getting at. Those heart tugs, that 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 draw, that pull, whatever that is, that your emotions are so tied and connected to whatever the things are on this list, that is what Paul is getting at. So you see, we don't we don't have big shrines, we don't have big idols, we don't do uh, a, a a lot of food sacrificing to uh, to gods, uh, lowercase gods in the U.S. Like Ronnie mentioned last week. But what we do is we still sacrifice and and pay homage to the things that we wrote down on this list. And oftentimes what, what, where we don't sacrifice food, we will sacrifice our kids, our families, we will sacrifice our relationship with the Lord, we'll sacrifice a lot so we can worship these idols. And, and so if you feel that and feel that tension and that tug that's going on, it's because the reality is, is like what John Calvin said, is our hearts are just factories of idols. And so if we just simply move one idol away, then we will quickly find another idol to replace it with. And so whatever you move from your list, you could quickly move something in. And so what we need is we don't just need to remove an idol. What we need is we need to have something greater, greater something greater that, uh, that, uh, than this list of things that we just wrote down. And so that's where Paul is getting, the, that is where Paul is trying to get at the heart, even as Ronnie said last week, of what's going on for the Corinthians. And, and the supposedly mature Christians we find out aren't that mature. So let's look at it. And, and we're going to break it up. So uh, the saints are free to say no, verses 4 through uh, 6. Again, I'm going to read it and then just unpack it. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, therefore is therefore a reason, because as Ronnie mentioned last week, um, what is going on is that uh, either we will uh, love our brothers and sisters more, and we will live a life of love, or we will love the things of this world uh, more, including ourselves. And so, uh, therefore... As to eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. So Paul is, is quoting here, and he's likely quoting something that the Corinthians have said um, to him. So the church in Corinth has said this. He's, he's reciting it right back to them. And that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all are, are all all things and for whom we exist and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom we um, whom are all things and through whom we exist okay N.T. Wright says that this 
uh, final verse here is, is like one of the great historical moments for Christology. And so how do we denertify what N.T. Wright is saying? Uh, what he's saying is if we understand what is going on here, especially in this culture and for Christianity, is, is, is we are seeing uh, just the, uh, the godness of God the Father and God the Son. And so we are seeing this language that Paul uses is that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. What we are seeing is that though uh, Paul, uh, Paul uses the same exact language for God, he uses that same exact, or the same exact language that Paul uses for God, he uses for Jesus Christ, okay? And so what we are seeing is if we want to have any grasp or any understanding for ethics, if we want to know anything about how to make moral decisions and how to live for life, then we have to start with a firm foundation. And that firm foundation is this. is for the world, that's fine. They have many gods and many idols. But for us, for the Christians and for the saints in Corinth, we have one God from whom all things exist. So he talks to the Gentiles. All right. There is one God. That's it. Just one God. Our, 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 we, we are a monotheistic. We are one God who is three gods in one, but still one God who exists in three persons. And so he's speaking of this pluralistic culture is we, we have to start with this. If we're going to talk about ethics, if we're going to get into this at all, then we have to understand that we get our ethics and we get our foundation for moral decisions on the fact that there is one God who's the creator of everything. So instead of just debating on all these different things, Paul is just going to real simple just real simple-minded apologetics is that if we're going to talk about ethics and we're going to talk about moral stuff, then we have to understand there's one God who's the creator of everything, and that's where we base our ethical decisions from. And so if you're listening today and you're not a Christian, and you're someone tuning in that's maybe atheist or agnostic, and you're like, oh, how does this have any bearing for my life? Here's what I would say. Where do you find your foundation for ethics? Where do you look for that because in our society that is a, you just do you and I'm just gonna do me what we find is that I will just do what I think is right but but is that a great place and a great foundation to build a, a, an argument of, of morality and ethics on because your neighbor might think that cheating on his wife and not providing for his family is just fine though you might think that is wrong and, and then if you're someone who says well society at large should teach us um, about ethics. Well, society at large has been really, really, really wrong. For, for, uh, for a long time, uh, babies were sacrificed, um, which is still something we see today. But babies were sacrificed in, in, in pagan cultures as worship to their gods. Society at large participated in that. Slavery was society at large saying this is okay. The Holocaust was society at large saying this is okay. And so where do we start with the foundation for ethics? Where do we start with the foundation for morality Paul takes us to one God, who's the creator of everything, through whom all things exist. If we're going to talk about this stuff, it's got to start here. It's got to start with our foundation of this God, who's revealed himself through his word. He's given us knowledge to know what truth is. So that's where we start. And that's where he would address the Gentiles. But he's also going to address the Jews at the uh, uh, last part of that, because he says the exact same thing. This same God, through whom all things exist, so now it's going to go against Judaism is the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things exist and through whom we exist. So the same God who brought creation into life is Jesus Christ, who now gives us new life as creatures in Christ. And so if we're going to start someplace with ethics, and if we're going to look at it, then I would say this, from the Christian worldview, what we do is we look 
to God, who's the creator of everything, who's the creator of the world, who's taught us what it is to live a moral and ethical life. But what we also do is we look to Jesus Christ, who lived on this earth. So we don't just have a God like they do. Though, though they think that Christians are atheists, we actually have a God who stepped in in flesh and blood. We have a God who stepped in and he knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be thirsty. He knows what it is to hurt. He knows what it is to grieve. He's so close to our pain. And that's the God that steps in. We look to his life. He made every moral and ethical decision perfectly. He lived a life according to God's moral standard perfectly. Like, like he walked it out. Every ethical decision that should be made and that should be done that we failed to do, Jesus Christ did that. But he didn't just give us some moral example, and, and his life is not just some moral example. We see his life all the way up to the cross, where he didn't just come to give a moral example. He came to live a moral life that we couldn't, but to also offer his life as a moral substitute and sacrifice, because we can't offer that to God. And so he takes this punishment, he takes this wrath, and so the, the, the holistic gospel of Jesus' life, his death, but also his resurrection and ascension shows us if we're going to look at ethics, we have to look at the gospel. We have to see a king and a hero. We have to see God himself stepping in who laid down his rights. He had every right to say, yes, I want this. This is mine. I, I declare this. But he laid down those rights he, and he exercised and showed what true freedom is. And so if we're going to look at ethics, if we're going to look at morality, then we have to understand this. We need to start with God. And then we need to start with looking at Jesus Christ and the life that he lived, the life that he modeled, but also the death that he died the, that we deserved. And then what we will actually have is we'll have cross-shaped, gray-shaped, gospel-shaped ethics. So when we think through things ethically, like do we get uh, cosmetic surgery? Do we um, partake in cannabis recreationally? Do we drink? Do we do all these things? We don't think through these things as Christians without first thinking about what about Christ? What about the cross? What about what he suffered and endured there? What about every right that he had and every right that he could have laid down, but he sacrificed? What about Christ and looking at him as we think through these ethical things? Christians don't think through ethics without understanding God is the foundation who's given us his truth, and Jesus Christ is the model for us to live a life ethically. Um, next, verse 7 through 8, we see this. However, not all possess this knowledge, this knowledge that there's just some gods and, and um, uh, the... Uh, there's many just false idols out there, and so whenever you just eat food in one of these idols, it's not real because there's no such thing as, as these little gods and these, these other gods. Paul's like, no, 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 not, not everyone has this knowledge. There's new converts, there's new Christians. But some through for, uh, former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Okay, And so food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. Okay, so what is going on here is this, is that there's, there's objective idolatry and subjective idolatry. Subjective idolatry is that the word hasn't made something clear that it's sinful, but if your conscience is not clear in it, then it is sinful. And, 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 and then there is objective idolatry, like I said, where something is explicitly clear in Scripture, this is sinful and this is wrong. And so what's happening here is that the so-called mature Christians are saying, like, these immature Christians don't know that they can just eat and drink whatever uh, uh, we want. Uh, we have tremendous freedoms in Christ. And that's true for us today. We have tremendous freedoms in Christ. And so like what we need to do as the mature Christians here in Corinth is we need to bring them up to speed. They need to know that they can eat whatever they want, that, that pork is okay, that, 
that the food sacrificed idols is okay, that it's not that what goes in a body, but what comes out is what defiled them. Don't they know Jesus said these things? They're clearly immature. What we need to do is we need to get them all eating and drinking and participating in all the things that all the mature Christians have the right and the freedom to participate in. Okay? We see this stuff today, too. Is The reality of what's going on here is that the so-called mature Christians actually actually love themselves more than they love their brothers in Christ. And so they actually weren't as free as they thought they were because they didn't have the ability to say no to themselves. And oftentimes our list and our idols that we have and the things that we live for are, in reality, our inability to say no to ourselves. It's what we want. It's our pleasure. It's our comfort. And it's our approval. And so we, we want these things and we're willing to sacrifice our brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of what we want and that's loving ourselves the most. And so this is what Paul's going after, is, is he's addressing this. And so one scholar actually wrote this out. Um, and though this is not scripture, so I just want to clarify, this is not scripture. There are multiple scholars that have speculated this is kind of what the writing to Paul might have looked like. And this is now what Paul is addressing back to the Corinthians. And so again, not scripture, just want to make that clear. But this is a speculation of what the Corinthians argument was they were making to Paul and now Paul is addressing this back. So I'm going to read this. This is by Edwards. Again, your call not to associate with immoral people has exacerbated a point of conflict among us. Some members of the church are upset because others have accepted invitations to dinners held in idol temples and freely eat food that has been given and sacrificed to idols. But we all possess knowledge and so we know that an idol has no real existence, since there is no God but one. So there is no such thing as idol food, just food. The others, however, frighten and upset about what we eat and question our right to eat any food we want. We are trying to build them up so they too can enjoy their freedoms in Christ and the right to eat any food as long as they are thankful to God for it. We have explained to them that eating this food commends us to our neighbors. We'll be worse off if we do not eat it and better off if we do, since we will offend our friends and neighbors and hurt our chances of social advancement by building relationships with potential patrons if we snub them by rejecting their, invita their invitations of their food. Only by accepting their invitations and eating their food will we have opportunities for outreach and advancement. Those other uh, believers being weak think that they are actually condoning idolatry and encouraging them to participate in it as well. And so what is going on in this so-called... Uh, a letter that's uh, just a speculation of what it might have looked like writing to Paul is that the the mature believers are saying, hey, hey, Paul, uh, you, you know how you wrote and said like not to affiliate with certain people? Um, that's that's causing a lot of confusion because now uh, people aren't going to parties. They're not going to banquets. They're not going to dinner stuff. And now they're not eating the food. Can, can you please write and address this and let them know that we're right and that they have the freedom to do these things? And because by them not doing it, they're actually hurting uh, um, our, our advancement of the kingdom, our advancement of the gospel, and our advancement of living on mission. And so um, we, we need you to address it. But Paul's actually getting to the heart of what's going on. And we see that at the end of this verse here in verse 8. He says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, no better off if we do. Why doesn't Paul address, hey, you're, you're, you're not being a light? Or, or yes, th this is going to hurt the advancement of the kingdom and stuff like that. Paul gets to the heart of all idolatry. Paul gets to the heart issue. Paul's chief concern is rebellion against God. Paul's chief concern is not against the non-Christian. It's not even against your brother. It is against God. We see that later on in verse 12 where he says, oh, you are causing your brother to sin against Christ. 
And so what's actually going on here is that in this culture that they needed to be uh, approved of and they needed to be plugged into the social pipeline, what's actually likely happening is this, is that the Corinthians are saying, like, we're not going to be able to, uh, to further the kingdom of God. We're not going to be able to reach non-Christians because our, our, our weak, immature brothers and sisters in Christ are actually hurting us from being able to do that. And so what, what, what Paul does is Paul gets to the heart of what's going on is that you're actually more concerned about having approval. You're actually more concerned about getting plugged into the social pipeline. You're actually more concerned about having approvals of others. What you need to be concerned about is that there's no food, there's nothing that commends you to God. There's nothing that makes you more right before God, nothing that makes you less right before God. So instead of taking them to this issue they're wanting Paul to bring up, Paul brings them to the issue of God. What you need to be concerned about is God. What you need to be concerned about is, is, is this being your chief concern. Are you doing something that is commending you or not commending you to God? And he's saying that food does not do that. You, as, an, as a mature Christian, are actually saying we have rights and we need to exercise our rights. It's actually more about you having man's approval. It's actually more about you getting uh, 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 men to look at you. And what I mean by this is sometimes college people, sometimes college Christians, sometimes high school Christians, and, and also mature Christians will go to parties and go to events. And though their consciousness is not clear in something, um, they, they will say yes to, uh, to alcohol. They will say yes to various things because they feel like by saying no to it, that it's actually going to uh, make them look more weird and make them more of an outcast. But we defend that by saying, well, I'm actually helping to advance the kingdom of God. So we've even found these really nice spiritual phrases to say, hey, here's what we can do. We're actually doing this as a sacrifice for the kingdom of God. But then also you're not thinking about when you make decisions like that, how is it actually possibly maybe hurting your own family or other Christians in Christ? So hey, hang in there with me, if you would, because this is where Paul is going, that we have the freedom to say no. So um, look at verse 9. But take care of this right of yours. We have tremendous rights, tremendous freedoms as Christians. Take care of this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Um, I wrote up a list of things that I, I feel like in our culture today, I think that we have tremendous rights in. We have tremendous freedoms. You guys heard my list of things that, that I love and enjoy. We have great freedoms in Christ, but we also have a greater freedom to say no to these things. What are some other things that Christians have the freedom to in Christ today, but we also have the freedom to say no to? I would say eating and drinking. That's an obvious one. Alcohol is a hot topic on this subject, but also uh, um, eating as well. The way that we eat and drink, uh, we are a, a nation that celebrates the fact that we have a ton of food and access to a ton of food. But the way that we eat and drink and even practice or uh, uh, discipline ourselves or have a lack of discipline might actually cause a younger brother or sister in Christ to stumble. Um, and so we need to be cautious. We need to think about that. But we also need to realize that our practices of drinking and drinking liberally or eating liberally has an impact on our family. It has an impact on our children. It, it has an in, impact on other people that are watching that are younger, maybe more immature Christians. And so if we're not having honest conversations, if we're not talking to these things, or if we're not having the willingness to say no, we're impacting. Obsessive talk about body image or working out, these things are things that's, that we have freedom to work out and we, we have the freedom to get in shape, but we can also excessively talk about this so much so that someone becomes more concerned with how they are with their own body image instead of who they are in Christ. Uh, choosing to wear a mask now in public. Like, um, this is an argument, I'm just going to be so just blatantly honest that I think it's really dumb 
for Christians right now just to say like, I'm, 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 I'm fighting this fight. Even though the governor said this, I'm not gonna wear a mask out in public. I'm just going to hold my ground. This is like some form of persecution and, and, and this is where we're gonna hold our ground and fight. Like the reason why I think that is so immature is one, Romans 13 tells us to submit to the laws of the, of the land is it was something that was passed. But I'm like, is this really your fight? Is this really where you want to just spend all of your energy fighting for, I, I have the right not to wear a mask and have the right not to wear a mask inside of a store? Or is this something that you can just surrender to, say no to, die to, and maybe love your brother and sister more by doing something like this? And I think sometimes doing stuff like this and exercising our rights makes us look a little bit weird, um, to be honest, in, in the secular world. But also, I think if we're going to stay focused on it being before God, can we just say, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going to say no to myself, though I feel like I have some right or something like this. I think this is going to be more loving. Uh, what we watch or listen to. There, there are many people that say, hey, I, I, have, I have the freedom to watch this and watch this. And coming from a guy that has movie, uh, loves movies, I would say, yeah. But when, whenever we um, don't think about what we watch or listen to, um, how, how it might impact our other brother and sister in Christ, because we say, hey, have you seen the show? And then they watch it, and there's something in that show that, that might not bother us, but it leads them to fall into pornography. It leads them to fall into lust. It leads them, th th then I think we're not really understanding the gravity of the way that we live and how it might affect someone else. Um, the way that we talk or speak however we want. We say, I have the right to just do me and speak and say whatever I want and to say whatever I want on social media. I think that is a right that I see Christians exercising that I think that we can say no to and no to ourselves if it's going to lead someone away from the gospel. Um, success. Success. We, 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 we have the right to, uh, um, to be successful. Uh, this is America. It is great. Like, like we can live the American dream. We can go after our goals. We can build up a, a successful business. We can do all these things. But also, people are watching our life. Are we more about success? Are we more about our careers? Are we, are we not saying no to our jobs at some point? Are we saying yes to things inside of our careers because we're actually more enslaved to them and we don't have the freedom to say no? Let me just give a couple more. How we talk to our spouse. And, and how we talk about our spouse can actually really impact and affect younger brothers and sisters in Christ. And last, I would say religiosity and self-righteousness. Because if someone looks at your life and they don't actually understand that, that you are all about Jesus, because really you're not, but you're actually just about obeying rules and living a good moral life and making good moral decisions. And so you talk about that or, or you, you, you talk more about your morals and your life and the way that you've lived instead of talking about how you are a failure who needs the righteousness and, and, and the perfection of Jesus Christ, you can actually lead people away from the cross and lead people away from the gospel to see the life you need to live is just a life of behavior, a, a, a life of following all the rules and obeying all the things and doing all the things right. And you're not actually leading people to the gospel. You're leading them to become stale and dead on the inside. So these are all ways that there's things that we could say no to um, that might cause our brother or sister to stumble in that we love as Americans to say you do you I'm gonna do me. This is my right. I have the freedom. I have the freedom of a Christian I've, I've been set free by Jesus I'm gonna do these things without thinking through the impact I could have and I'm just gonna go ahead for the sake of time and, and, and move through this quickly and say this um, That if someone sees you doing these things and and, and their conscience is not clear and, and they are they are immature It says this in verse 11 and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Like, 
How we live has the impact, and this is what Paul's trying to say, that that list of things that we wrote down at the beginning, that, that our hearts are so pulled to and, and prone to, those things on that list and many other things have the ability, they can, if our lives are given to them in worship, to destroy our brother. And here's the reason why. When we start to love saying yes to those things more than saying no to those things for the sake of our brother, we actually love ourselves more. And so what we're truly indebted to is our own selfishness and our own love for ourselves. Hang in there with me. I know this has been a lot of bad news so far. Paul says in verse 12, Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. So he lets you know where you're ultimately sinning against. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Where, how in the world is Paul, and I'm coming from someone who's like a meditarian, how in the world does Paul get to a spot to where he says that I will never eat meat again? Whatever that was, that one thing that you had on your list, how does Paul get to that? What, uh, how does he cross off everything on that list? And if meat was like your one thing, how does Paul get to the point where he says, hey, if meat actually makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat again. I will sacrifice meat. I'll sacrifice. I will say no to that for the rest of my life. How does Paul get to that spot? Here's the on, on, only way. Is true freedom isn't exercising your freedoms in Christ. True freedom in Christ is having everything that you possibly need in Jesus Christ. Uh, we see the only true man to ever live this life was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had the right to speak, but he was silent. He had the right to a crown, but he took a cross. Jesus had the right to have his feet washed, but he washed the feet of others. He had the right to be worshipped, but he was whipped. We see only, only one true man to ever walk this earth, and that man was not bound by any sin, and he did not live life for man's approval. He lived his life satisfied in God's approval of him. In Jesus, we see what true freedom looks like, because true freedom is the ability to say no to myself, because what I desire more is to love God and to love my brother or sister in Christ. And Jesus says, greater love has known than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You want to know what true freedom is? It's saying no to yourself. And it's saying yes to loving God and loving others. But the reality is, is we are miserably weak and horrible at doing this. And so what we need is we need Christ to come in and free us. We need Christ back to his moral substitute. Is we need Jesus Christ, the only person who said, you do not do this. You are selfish. I am selfish. We are all selfish. We live for the things on our list more than we love God and more than we love others. We love our idols. We love ourselves. And we love to serve ourselves. And so Jesus Christ said, let me do this for you. Let me offer you my life of complete and total unrighteousness and let me make you a slave to my righteousness and let me take your selfishness, your pride, your arrogance and your lack of wanting to say no upon myself. And literally Romans 6.18, please read this verse, please memorize this verse, says this, you once were a slave to sin, but through faith in Christ you are now a slave to righteousness. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are literally a slave, you are bound. What are you bound by? When you've put your faith and trust in Christ, you are bound and enslaved and just gripped by all of his righteousness. And so right now, in this very moment, you are a slave and you are bound by the righteousness. The whole pure righteousness of Christ is what you are enslaved to because he's given all of that to you. And so my encouragement to you today is that if you want to look more like Christ, then look more to Christ. Because if you're trying to just look to getting out of your sin or getting um, freed from sin, you'll create that into an idol as well. That's not a that's not true freedom, is looking at your sin. True freedom is looking at Christ's victory over sin. True freedom is looking at what Christ did for you. It's not looking at how much gain you have 
or, or how much you're growing spiritually. It's actually looking to what Paul's willing to do here. I'll give up everything. Why? Because I already have everything in Christ. And his love and his acceptance and his righteousness and his approval. And so I have the freedom to say no. No to anything and no to anything on this list if it means loving God and loving my brothers and sisters in Christ more. I shared this with a brother from our church this last week. I said, the more you stare at your failures and imperfections, the less you will stare at Christ. Looking at Christ less will result in looking like Christ less. Stare more at Christ's victory and his perfection given to you because the one who looks at Christ more looks like Christ more. And so if we want to understand what true freedom is, true freedom is something that we have in Christ. It's been given to us. It is a gift. We don't worship freedom and getting out of idolatry. We worship Christ who has given us true freedom and has made us slaves to righteousness. We have everything we could possibly want and desire in Jesus Christ. And what we have is we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to practice saying no. And so here's the application that I would say. We can practice saying no. We have really small spiritual muscles, myself included. And if we want to grow our spiritual muscles and, and, and get better at living in, in the freedom that we have in Christ and living out of the righteousness and the identity that we have as saints, then what we have to do is, spirit, uh, is develop the spiritual muscle of saying no. Just like you have to go to the gym and do things to develop your spiritual muscles, you have to develop the spiritual muscle of saying no. No, I'm not going to look at that. No, I'm not going to let my eyes wander. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm not going to look that direction. I'm not going to go that direction. I'm going to say no to this because by saying no to this, I'm not feeding my flesh and I'm practicing living out of who I am in Christ. And I will trust that this small, tiny, weak, puny muscle will grow in time. But here's the reality. Please listen. God is not going to love a future version of yourself that has bigger muscles more than he loves the puny, weak, scarce, or just scarce, just wimpy version of yourself right now, myself too. God doesn't love us as our spiritual muscles grow and we can say no to more things uh, uh, better. God loves you right now the same he will love you uh, in 10 years down the road as you grow in saying no. And you need to know that and you need to hear that because you've already been bound up and wrapped in and enslaved to his righteousness. But we can practice saying no and growing our spiritual muscles. We can also learn to fast things of our flesh because this helps us to say no things like spiritual exercise, just certain things. Maybe it's TV, whatever it is. We can grow in this. And then lastly, serving is one of the greatest ways we can practice saying no to ourselves because here's the reality. That every time we serve someone else, every time we say yes to someone else, then what we are actually doing is saying no to ourselves. So very practically, serving someone else allows us to say yes to someone else and it, and it makes us say no to ourselves. And so it is something that, that, that we can spiritually grow in, practice and do. And so let me end with this, is how can you right now grow an understanding that you have the freedom to say no. What is God calling you in Christ on that list? Maybe just to practice saying no to. Um, what, 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 what rights and freedoms do you, do you, do you lay to and, and just uh, um, hold out or hold so, so dear and so near to you that you're not saying no to? How, how are those things maybe impacting others? And where uh, uh, on the things on your list has Jesus been supplemented out for one of those things to come in? And here's the reality, back to what Calvin said, is we can't just cut off idols because we'll put a new one in. What we need to do is grow as worshipers. So if we want to learn to say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus, what we need to do is look more to Jesus. And so we don't just say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to stop doing this. We have to fix our gaze and fix our eyes on the beauty and the glory of all that we are and all that we have in Christ. We need to stare at him more. We need to stare at his perfection, his beauty, his glory. 
everything that he's already given to us, everything that we already have, all that we are inside of Christ, the more that we look to him, the more that we will be pulled into worshiping him, his victory over sin, and the more we'll start to look like him and be able to say no to ourselves and to others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the church. Thank you, Lord, for redeeming us and giving us the ability to say no. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.